0: A few weeks ago we kicked off our membership series and we've been joking that uh, that this might be when you think because we're in a covenant membership series like this is where the church gets weird maybe and we're just owning like we've been weird from the beginning so so we're just walking out our weirdness um, but in seriousness though about three weeks ago, the whole focus that day was why membership? And so if you're um, even visiting us and stuff and, like, why would they do membership and stuff, we, we unpack that and spend a whole time on the importance of, I think, why not that this is going to become this exclusive club, but that instead we're going to more intentionally than ever say um, it's fine to be here as long as you want to be here, but, but there is going to be an intentional, like, let's step even more into what the Lord is calling us to be as a, a body of Christ here, as a church here. And so so we'll spend a, a few more weeks on covenant membership. What we did was we, we focused on the why, and then we spent two weeks so far, and this is our third week, on here are distinctives, like here are traits that, that Lord willing, will characterize us as, as members of this body, as a part of this church. And so, so two weeks ago, we talked about gospel-centered. What that means, what that doesn't mean, why we're saying that is going to be, Lord willing, a trait that, that forms a people that will outlive us. You know, would, would this be gospel-centered two generations from now as well? Uh, then uh, last week, we talked about being people of the Bible, and, and what that means, what, what that doesn't mean to you, and, and unpacking that. And uh, all that is on our podcast through iTunes or on our sermons link on our website. Today, we're going through a distinctive that, man, I, I really hope will be us. It's like, Lord, would you allow this to be us? Would this truly form who we are? And it is a people of scandalous grace, scandalous grace, our prayer, our trajectories, covenant members, is when you think of the people of Sacred Mission Church, um, would would people not think of the most unforgiving people? When you think of the people of Sacred Mission, would you not think of, oh, those people are so judgmental? Or, man, those people believe the worst of us and the worst in each other. Um, Man, when I think of Sacred Mission Church, like, would people not think, oh, those are those holier-than-thou people that are over there and I'm over here. Um, But instead, like, would they say, those are people who have experienced scandalous grace and those are people who there is just something different about them and one of the words that i use is grace that's one way i can describe these people even people who like for decades held grudges against each other for how land was divided or grudges for you shot my dog when it attacked you or whatever and then and and you know i don't i'm so mad at you and that was so long ago i don't even remember that dog's name but i remember i'm still mad at you or whatever and then it's like and then something happened and then now they call each other brother and sister, and now they sacrifice to be with each other and to be around each other. Would we be a people of such scandalous grace that when God convicts a group of meth dealers out in the gravel roads and convicts them of their sin, that they know they need to find Sacred Mission Church people to figure out what to do with this conviction they're feeling, what to do to be forgiven what to do to find freedom like would they be drawn to us and now i know that's big <laughs> and i know that's scary where like people are walking in the door and they're like do we call 911 or go say hi to them and it's like i think that's where jesus loves to be is in those moments that are messy that are a little crazy And he shows up with scandalous grace. So what's this going to look like is we're going to look at three aspects of his scandalous grace of how Jesus treated people in a shocking way. And Matthew chapter 9 is going to be where we launch off into this. And if you don't have a Bible or if maybe you have a Bible at home that you're not comfortable circling and underlining and stuff, um, we've got on the Connect table, we brought them all back from youth camp, uh, a bunch of Bibles there. So you can grab one and have it if you'd like to have that be one where you take notes in or circle things that the Holy Spirit is really making stand out in your heart as you read them. Uh, But we'll be in Matthew chapter 9, and then we'll have the, the words up on the screen too. So starting in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 9, we're going to see Jesus just showing who he is. And this isn't the only place in Scripture we could have gone to. There are dozens of places we could have gone to, and we're going here today. Verse 9 says, as Jesus passed on from there, from where he was previously, he saw a man called Matthew, which I love that because Matthew is writing it. He's like, there's this theoretical guy named Matthew. No, like he's telling his story Verse 12, but when he heard it, when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Man, it is like mind-blowing scandalous to even have Jesus invite a sinful man like Matthew to follow him. And we, we've mentioned this before in some other uh, places that we've been in Scripture in the last several months, is tax collectors were the worst. And it's like, are you being like mean by saying that? Matthew, who was a t- tax collector, says in other parts of his gospel, tax collectors are the worst. And one of the things that made them so bad was that a tax collector would po- possibly go up to to Kurt Fisher and be like, Kurt, man, it's time to pay your taxes. You owe me 5,000 bucks because of, and the thing that would allow a tax collector to say that is usually a tax collector was Jewish. A tax collector was usually a part of the same kind of people group, and because they were same, it was part of the same people group, they had like an intimate knowledge of like his business dealings, things that he was doing maybe that were on the side or this thing, like side hustles that he had and stuff. So they were intimate enough to know kind of all of the income streams, and then, but they were hated by their people and even typically disowned from their families and all of that stuff because they went up to Kurt and said, 5,000 bucks. And if Kurt was like, no. It's like, okay, now you're a slave. Now you're in prison. And it wasn't like, I appeal to a higher authority. It was like, no, I am the authority. I'm a tax collector. Pay me 5000 bucks. So Kurt would sell stuff, whatever, 5000 bucks. Then this is what made them so hated is they would say, okay. And then they'd go to the Roman Empire and say, here's the $3,000 that Kurt paid me and have the 2000 in his pocket. And people knew they were doing that and had no authority to out them and so everybody hated the tax collector because they were robbing everybody, they were getting filthy rich, and there was nothing to do about it. They would go up to people, say these things, if person didn't pay, they paid for it some way or another, and there are all of these tactics that just made them filthy rich. And as Jesus, like if you heard in the streets of the city, Jesus is going toe-to-toe with a tax collector today. I think you'd be like, yeah. He is going to pulverize him. Like the stream of justice is going to pour over this tax collector. All of the rubbing his face in all of the crimes he's committed. All that he deserves. I hope that Jesus just gives it to him. Like I mean, I think that that's what we're all rooting for as Jesus, the, the, the true good one, the holy, powerful God himself approaching a tax collector. Justice himself is found in Jesus. He cannot be just. like He cannot be unjust. He can only be just. And he walks up to Matthew. Matthew deserves all of this wave of vengeance. And he says to Matthew, follow me. He doesn't say, hey, I need you to understand what you've done to these people. He doesn't mention one thing that Matthew has ever done. He says, follow me. Jesus shows him this mind-blowing grace. And I think it's, uh, it's one thing. So if I go up to, um, let's say, say I go up to Bryce, and, I'm, and I just tell Bryce like a bold-faced lie you know, uh, if I tell Bryce a bold-faced lie, like, he's going to think weird of me, like, it'll probably be this weird thing in our relationship until I seek forgiveness or something, but, like, it's just kind of weird if I tell a bold-faced lie to Bryce, and it's going to just hurt our friendship, even though we've known each other our entire lives, Um, and that's kind of it. Now, if I, we have like the church set up in a way with an advisory team and stuff that, that there are some people before we raise up elders on the ground here and stuff, there are some people who love me like crazy, love our church like crazy, and who would also have no problem firing me. Like we even have it set up where it's like here are all the ways that you can fire me because it's like I don't ever want this church to be about me. I don't ever want it to be like I get all weird and the church just keeps going or whatever. It's like if it's ever good for me, my family, for the church to fire me, here, like, here's how you do it. Go for it, right? So if I tell like a bold-faced lie to the church, we have just on one lie, we have it where the church could fire me. Okay? And so Bryce and I just kind of a rift. The church and I fired, potentially, right? And it would be just, be just. In our justice system of our country, one lie can be treason, right? Are the British coming? No, the British aren't coming. Like, like that could be treason, right? And if I even say one bold-faced lie to the country, I could be killed for that, justly like justly one lie to a country could have you be executed. And what is unbelievable is that just one sin against a holy, perfect God is far greater than even one sin to a country. Can we agree with that? Like a pure, holy God who made us is, will last infinitely longer, be infinitely more powerful. One sin against him justly could condemn us to be separated from him forever. And the one who has been sinned against, this is the one who's walking up to Matthew, who has an outrageous lifestyle of sin, and instead of punishing him, he says, follow me. And I think what is beautiful is that Matthew does. Like there is something in Matthew that he had this prosperous gig going on. He had this way that he operated that he could be filthy rich for a lifetime. And when he meets Jesus face to face, he's like, man, you want me to follow you? I'm in. This is the last day. I'm not even giving my two weeks notice. I'm, I'm done because of his invitation to me there's something about Jesus in this. And then what I love is we see what this sparks in the community. So one man has met the scandalous grace of Jesus, and we already see it affecting his community. Look at verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So not only does Matthew have no, or Jesus has no problem going to Matthew, Matthew somehow is like, I got to get all my buddies together. You need to come to my house. I don't just have like a couple sinful tax collector friends. I have many. And I love that many of them, this whole motley crew of tax collectors and sinners are hanging with Jesus and his disciples. And I think that, that we would think if I heard like, hey, there's this like meth house that we all kind of know about and... Um, and it's it's crowded with a whole bunch of people in it. There aren't social distancing. It's a house full of people. And Jesus is in there. And, like, they're all relaxed. Just being present with each other. Like, you'd be like, aren't they on pins and needles? Aren't they, like, being super careful not to swear? Being super careful of how they're going to interact? Because it's like, we're around the Holy One. We better be super careful. But you see how relaxed they are, even in his presence. As one person who's received scandalous grace, and now the scandalous grace is flooding into an entire community, and the light of the world has surrounded himself with darkness, and he's getting ready to shine away their darkness, to purify a people for himself. And what I think is fascinating, too, is the disciples don't feel the pressure to make sure these sinners know their place in the world. The disciples are also just hanging out with these sinners, and Jesus is there with them. And then verse 11 happens. And I think if verse 11 never happens in our community, I don't think we're being a people of scandalous grace. Whenever we're living truly in the scandalous grace, I think verse 11 is going to happen, which is, and when the Pharisees saw this, the Pharisees are the elite religious leaders. They're the seminary trained, ready to replace the high priests. Like, they are the ones that you're supposed to be coming to, to come to God. And when they see the scandalous grace on full display The Pharisees and tax collectors see this, and they say to his disciples, of course, they're never comfortable just to go to the source. They've got to kind of like talk behind his back. They say to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees have it in their minds that if Jesus really was God, he'd never be around sin like this. Jesus is too holy to be around people like this. It must mean that he's not holy if he can be around such unholy people. And I even heard this, I would call it just a bold-faced lie I heard at camp just last week or two weeks ago um, from a student. And man, it wasn't the student's fault. Like they had heard this from other people. I think this is like our cultural statement. And we think it's in the Bible, but it's not in the Bible. And this student said to me, well, God can't be around sin said it like, like he was reading scripture. And I was like, where did you get that? He's like, well, God, everybody, like God can't be around sin. And I was like, Let, let's make this perfectly clear. If Jesus can't be around sin, he can't be around us. He can't be around you. He can't be around me. And he can't be in Matthew's living room surrounded by sinners. I think that we, so it's so easy for us to think so small of Jesus that we'd be like, oh, Jesus, you can't go in there. Those are notorious sinners, and you are holy. And your little frail Jesus, like, you might get some of that on you, and you might get all messed up. And man, that says a lot about our little view of Jesus, not our little Jesus. Because um, Jesus, we can say, is the only death killer on planet Earth. Like, Jesus is the only one who killed the penalty of death. The only one who has defeated death is Jesus. Death defeated everybody, and Jesus killed death. Jesus is the only one that we could call the sin killer. He is the only one, like, if we know demons affect people, oppress people, and let's say that there is a demon that specializes in fear. And the way that this demon oppresses humans is by just constantly just attacking them with fear. If Jesus walked into the room, the demon would be afraid. The demon would tremble before the presence and say, are you going to destroy me right now? And would be freaked out And this this one, Jesus, the one that the demons tremble before, his relationship to sin, his relationship to sinners, beings who are tempted, tempting sin, his relationship to all that is far deeper. It's far more ferocious than anything that we can feel, anything we can know about. So it's scandalous when the one who is coming to destroy all of those things, when he says these things to us, and look what he says in verse 12. This is his response to verse 11, and I hope verse 12 and 13 is our response when people accuse us of being flippant with grace, or it feels overly scandalous that you'd be so gracious to that person after all that they've done When he heard it, when Jesus heard the pushback, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is here for the sick. If our community thinks Jesus is here for the holy people and would throw up in his mouth if he knew how dark and sick the place is, We have to let our community know when everybody else is like gagging and walking out of the room, he's the one that's walking in and is passionately, with a beating heart, going after the sick. He is the great physician here for the sick. And what he tells us and what he tells the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The Pharisees are like, you have no idea what you have to pay to make Jesus like you. Like, you have no idea what your sin and all, all this sacrifice. you got to sacrifice sheep and goats and all this stuff. And Jesus is like, I would prefer that you show them mercy. Would you show them Mercy. Would they feel mercy from you? And I think one of the reasons is because Jesus is going to be their sacrifice. That's why he's here. He's like, don't tell them they have to sacrifice. That's my job. I am sacrificing for them. Your job is to show them mercy, just like I'm showing you mercy. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He calls sinners. He doesn't call the righteous. He calls sinners and then he makes them righteous. Like, this is what he does. He calls sinners, and he makes them righteous. And this is the scandalous grace that each of us need so much that I hope we spend a lifetime walking in with each other, walking in in our community. And so, like, what does this look like as covenant members? What does this look like of people of Sacred Mission Church and the body of Jesus that he's forming? First, would we each be people receiving scandalous grace? Would we each be people receiving scandalous grace? You must personally respond to him, just like Matthew did. Matthew said, I will follow you. I will receive that scandalous grace that you have for me. And by the way, I'm going to get all my buddies together to hear this too. Responding to him does save us for heaven. It really saves us for heaven, but it also does so much more receiving his grace and forgiveness as a gift allows us to reign in this life, to reign in this life. Look at Romans 5.17. Romans 5.17 speaks to this so powerfully. It says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. So Jesus is talking about Adam. So all of us are following, we have the blood of Adam running through our veins, and that is leading all of us to be people who sin. Our parents never had to teach us how to sin. For if because of one man's trespass, because of that, death reigned through that one man. Much more, look at this, this is exactly what we're talking about today. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. If we reject Jesus' forgiveness, if we resist his abundant grace for a lifetime, if we resist his free gift of righteousness, if we resist these things, then death will reign in us. Everything we think will make us happy will end in disappointment, looking for more, and the end of the road will be death those who receive the abundance of grace who receive the free gift of righteousness what is referred to here when we receive abundance of grace is we reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ now reigning in life like we can still get fired from jobs we can still get a diagnosis of cancer and we we had a a guy in our community, like, praise Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus right as he was on the heels of, of cancer and tumor and all of that. And it's like, is he reigning in life? And I would say, absolutely. Like, he is one in Jesus who has been forgiven, who has received all this lavish grace. And as much as someone can, as a person who is on chemo, in radiation, they are raining. And when I look at them, it takes my breath away. It's like you are, it's all, I almost want to look away at how just powerfully you are living as a follower of Jesus, receiving all of this righteousness and grace from him. And I'd say the world is not worthy of what you're bringing to the table as you are in Jesus. And as covenant members of Sacred Mission Church, uh, man, would we be people who are receiving scandalous grace? Like, we're truly receiving it. And then second, though, would we each be people proclaiming scandalous grace? So it's like, I'm receiving this grace from Jesus. I'm not trying to perform for him. I'm letting his life be my life, I'm receiving him, I'm following him, and now I'm proclaiming this scandalous grace where we join with each other, sharing with family members, friends, classmates, neighbors, the same grace that we experience from Jesus. Um, I was uh, in Fort Dodge, like many of us were, for the, the championship softball game this week, and, um, and just being like, around a, a whole group of people. We're not, we're not that way very often now where there's hundreds of people that are, that are all kind of around this really big area. But I just remember thinking about this passage and thinking about this message, uh, looking at all of the Collins Maxwell fans and just being like, man, all of the grace that I've ever experienced from Jesus, like all of that is for all of these people too. Every single one of them, this grace is for them. And then I even looked at the Clarksville fans and been like, and it's for them too. Like, Like it's for all of us to receive this scandalous grace that is just poured on us. And as I was thinking that, I realized how infrequently I think that. How so often I just think uh, I just have judgmental thoughts towards people, or how often I'm just like, man, I can't believe they're like that. As, instead of thinking, I can't believe Jesus is like that for all of us. And I want to think that way more. I want to be proclaiming scandalous grace so much more. Um, and I think a, a woman who portrays this really well in Scripture is the Samaritan woman that Jesus talked to um, at Jacob's well. And I, I love that she's not named. Like, we don't know her name, and maybe it was written in there at one point. And she's like, just go ahead and take my name out. This is about Jesus, this story. But what's beautiful, though, is the Samaritans were probably racially the most racially disliked people group in the entire area, to the point that if you're in southern Israel and you're trying to get up to the Sea of Galilee, it's like a straight shot through Samaria. And they would actually go all the way around Samaria, east of Jordan, and would come, they would go hundreds of miles, or, or probably over 100 miles out of their way to not taint themselves by stepping on the ground that's owned by a Samaritan. Like, that's how disliked racially the situation was. And then the lady that Jesus talked to was hated by the Samaritans. So it's like, the Jews don't like any of you people. Then, none of your people like you because of all the sins that you've committed for decades, all the husbands you've had, all of the things. And it takes two people to tango, but this is a story about her and all that she's done. So a Jewish person would never talk to her. Her own people wouldn't talk to her. They usually go and draw water from the cool of the day. She was having to do it when no one else would want to be out because no one else wanted to be around her except for Jesus, is the only one who wants to be around her. And look at how some of this plays out. Um, we'll kind of skip to how people are responding to her in John chapter 4, starting verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So something about her interaction with Jesus. Now people are believing Jesus because of her. And look what her testimony is. He told me all that I ever did. I mean, if you go up to somebody If I go up to Tanner and for whatever reason I got like this text message thread in the middle of the night from God and it's like, here's everything Tanner's ever done. And I go up to Tanner and I'm like, hey, here's everything you've ever done. We're probably not going to be closer to each other after I read that text thread, right? It's going to be he punches me in the face or like he goes and cowers in a corner with shame and guilt and doesn't want, he isolates himself all this stuff, and the same thing could happen to me, and all this stuff. But what type of a gracious Savior who goes up to a Samaritan woman like this and tells her all she ever did, and her response is, Can I tell everybody? Can I tell everybody about you, about who you are? This is one of the first times that, that publicly Jesus has really proclaimed. And look what, how the response is. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to spay, stay with them. He stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, who they hated, by the way, and would not talk to before her encounter with Jesus, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I mean, her proclamation of scandalous grace is incredible. I mean, it means every single one of us can go up to everybody in the community and be like, let me tell you the things I was hiding from everybody. Let me tell you of the guilt and the shame that I lived with for so long. And now let me tell you about the one who freed me, who forgave me. And I want all of you to know him like I know him. Because anybody else I would have ran from, him I ran to. He is truly the savior of the world. And they're like, yeah, we agree. We've met him as well. And man, would that, our area needs that. Our community needs that. Rural Iowa needs that. Would we be proclaiming scandalous grace? But then third, would we each be people showing scandalous grace? Because you think about it, like we could be kind of solo. We could be like, okay, I'm receiving this grace from Jesus. I'm letting other people know it. But, it could keep, but you could still kind of keep everybody out, potentially. You could still potentially kind of not be super gracious to each other. And man, I mean, I've, so many of us relate to Peter. Um, Peter said some really bonehead things, and he also did some awesome things. He was like a glorious mess, which I... I think, speaks to many of us. And Jesus' patience with Peter, Jesus' love for Peter. And Peter was starting, I think, to figure out the scandalous grace, but he's like, I need to find the limit. Like, when can I start hating people? And so in Matthew 18, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? You know, you think about it, seven times is a lot. Like, if my 14-year-old and my 13-year-old and my 10-year-old, if they're having a lot of conflict and they're like, we've forgiven each other seven times, I'd be like, okay, we are, we're making progress. Like, we're on a good, like, I think we'd be like, there's peace in our home. Like, seven times. Eight times, that's it. We're done. Like, bring out the war, right? Um, And I love what Jesus said to them. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And I don't think he's saying here, like, on the 78th time, it's war. I think he's saying, like, this is so many times that basically just get used to forgiving people and just get used to saying I'm sorry and get used to letting conflict move people towards each other. I think, like, I imagine in my mind, um, I love Mark and Cindy Huntrods, and I imagine, like, Mark and I having a conversation, and Mark has a heart to see people experience this grace like, like we do. And, uh, you know, I just hypothetically envision Mark, like, grilling out for lunch, you know, and inviting, uh, inviting a guy over that he does sheep business with or whatever, and inviting a guy over and being like, hey, I'm going to make you lunch. Let's just connect. And like several months later coming up and being like, hey, um, I hear that you've been stood up a couple times. Like you, you pay the money, you, you make the meal, and how many times have you been stood up? Uh, well, I'm not really keeping count, but thirty-eight times. It's been thirty-eight times so far that I've been stood up, you know, and it's like, and you're scheduled for next week? Yep, yep, same time. You know, we'll see. It'll either be thirty-nine times that that I have leftovers for tomorrow, or he might come and meet Jesus and Scandalous Grace would be on full display. You know, and, and I think for us, like for us to own like how easy it is for us to be ungrateful. And how easy, though, it is for Jesus to be grateful towards us and for Jesus to be patient towards us and and for us to be glad to proclaim that to others. Um, We so easy just think the worst in each other. We so easy don't give people the benefit of the doubt. We give people the benefit of the accusation, of the, oh, I bet you this is their motive. I bet you when they're not wearing a mask, it's because they hate me and want to kill me or i bet you that when they walk in with a mask it's because they don't have any faith or something and it's like oh come on like can we just burn that up and just actually be nice to each other and show mercy to each other and trust each other and i think in our culture we just want to yell scandal scandal masks scandal return to learn plans you know scandal race and what if like people are like scandalous grace is what we're like yelling at each other. And for us to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. And for us to say, I forgive you. And to show that type of grace, to, for, for Jesus to form us to be people of grace like that who don't keep records of wrong. Love keeps no record of wrong. Where we're quick to forgive, quick to ask for forgiveness, quick as we're communing with Jesus to invite people into the grace that we're feeling from him. So Lord, I just ask you that you would make us these people. Lord, I know that it is, man, it goes against all of our justice meter. It goes against so much. Um, But Lord, we're mindful that you, you are the sacrifice. You are the one all of that injustice was nailed to you on the cross, Lord. And would we be a people who say words of freedom and grace and mercy and proclaim where they can truly indeed meet the Savior of the world? And we really even don't even have to learn all of the darkness that they're caught up in because we know that you can handle all of that once they recline with you and spend time with you. Lord, would you form us to be a people, and would you form the Collins Christian Church, and would you form the other churches around us, that, um, that what people would feel when they're, when they're around those who are walking with you is mercy and forgiveness and grace and, and clear direction of how they can receive that as well. So, Lord, form that in us for your glory, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, Jesus created this for us as communion, which is truly communing with him. And w- we love to step towards this as a way to respond every week. And um, we've been careful with how to, how to do this. It's a cup within a cup. So if you just take one, and the person preparing this has been wearing gloves and stuff, but if you take one and then you separate it, you'll see that the bread and the juice are there. Um, if you are not a follower of Jesus this won't mean anything. Respond to Jesus. His grace is is abundant, and respond to Him. Put your faith in Him uh, to take your sin away, to to show you reigning in life and what that that looks like. Um, For those of us who are followers of Jesus, Scripture warns us not to come here too quickly. We should never rush to the table. It should be a, a time for us to reflect, a time for us to repent, a time for us to maybe even repent to each other, seek forgiveness, forgive each other, um, because this is what this is about. This is what this table is about. Um, so let's spend some time. Christy will play a little bit and just give us a little bit of space for that. But then let's come, Let, let's come confidently and humbly. Let's come to the table, take it, and then we'll all take it together as family. So let's respond.